Welcome back to the Bond Revisited podcast. You are listening to part two of episode 18, where we revisit and rank Tomorrow Never Dies. After escaping the newspaper factory, Bond returns to his hotel room where he meets a very interesting doctor. Join us as we take a look and eventually add Tomorrow Never Dies to our rankings. But yeah, uh, after all that, after that lovely Bond moment <laughs> with the pallet, uh, he's escaped the factory and he walks out to find uh, the, his car. The BMW's parked nearby and drives off. Um, I think he's spotted by Stamper at this point, potentially. Yeah, Stamper's like on the rooftop opposite the hotel. So I don't think he's spotted at this point, but Stamper is watching him. Okay. Uh, so yeah, as Bond is driving off, um, he gets a phone call. On you know, it is actually a phone, I guess, oh, <laughs> as weird. well as all the stuff. Yeah, it does what it needs to. So he gets a phone call from Carver. Carver's literally just phoning him straight up. Um, I guess you know, he can get anyone's number, uh, and he says about Bond having two possessions of Carver's that he would really like back. One of them being the red box, the good old red box. Uh, and the other one being his wife, Paris, who is in his hotel room. So with that, uh, Bond is is driving back to his hotel. And that yeah, that's when Stamper, who's on the rooftop, watches because Bond goes down to the hotel car park beforehand and goes to park the BMW, locks the decoder in the sort of glove box compartment, fingerprint scanner, all that jazz, uh, and arms the car. Can't remember if the German voice lady says something. Probably. That's all she's there for is just a few gags here and there. But um, yeah, he goes up to his room. And after he's done that, Stamper on the walkie-talkie says to uh, all his men, go down, get the decoder from the car. And yeah, this... I get, I just put down in my notes here again, this car is just its just not pretty. It's so sad. I, would, <laughs> I really wanted a nice car here. Um, it would Bond, have sold it for what happens next. And how yeah. it's used, it really would have sold it if we had a great-looking Bond car. So, But as we already said, it, it looks like a middle-aged man. Maybe that guy who got shredded. It looks like something he might have made. <laughs> Saved after right. 10 years and bought it. I think also it's just the fact it's just a plain grey colour. I don't know. Is it I not feel bluey? Like... Oh, oh, no, it was blue in the last film, wasn't it? Yeah, it just, it just looks dull. And if you're going to have a dull-looking car, make it red or black. Or, I don't know, bright yellow. <laughs> Maybe not that. <laughs> yellow and brown, um, yeah. Yellow and brown. Scaramangas are going, mm, yes, very good. Good. Uh, <laughs> Bond goes up to his hotel room. He's got his gun out because uh, he, he knows something's up. And as he goes in, he spots Paris on the bed, dead, been strangled. <laughs> um, and in the background, I like that you rhymed that. Paris on the I? bed, dead. Paris on the bed, dead. It's like a nursery rhyme about Paris in the bed. <laughs> and the little one said, she's dead. <laughs> she's dead. <laughs> uh, what was, where was I? How dare oh, you interrupt? Paris on the bed dead. Paris on the bed dead. And in the background, there's a TV. And it's playing this, this news broadcast, this woman uh, on a news broadcast, uh, talking about Paris's death as if it was a real news announcement. Um, and then it kind of later says about... Uh, 
Oh, her body was found with an unidentified man as well, who seems to be a, a victim of a self-inflicted gun wound. So Carver here is clearly like setting up some sort of murder-suicide scene um, as Bond is looking at Par- uh, Paris's body and kind of caressing it and holding it and obviously very distraught. And as he's doing that, this very German-sounding man appears behind him through the doorway with a gun, uh, you know, holding holding Bond at gunpoint. And this is Dr. Kaufman. This is Dr. Kaufman. This is the doctor that Carver uh, organised his wife to meet. Um, if we did uh, sound effects, that's when I would add in like cheering and hooting and hollering like a sitcom. <laughs> yeah, this guy is is such a joke. Such a joke. He comes in, he takes a videotape out of the TV, kind of revealing that's not live, it's actually pre-record the thing that they're planning to publish after he's done the deed here uh taking out bond and yeah he reveals he's dr kaufman he starts bragging about how he's uh he's a noted outstanding marksman pistol marksman uh sent by carver and that yeah he took care of paris and she put up a real fight real struggle uh kind of boasting about it all and yeah this guy has the thickest kind of comedic german accent honestly it's it's kind of strange because some parts of this scene coming up are played very i think they're meant to be played quite dark and they just don't work because this character i mean at one point bond says uh you know if you shoot me from that angle it's not going to look like a a suicide and he responds saying mr bond i could shoot you from stuttgart and it would still create the proper effect and it's just Calm down. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> no, no. I do, I do actually like the character in isolation, but it's just what comes up later on. I think you've said it many times already. Like th- This film doesn't quite know its tone with some places. Um, anyway, whilst that's happening in the hotel room, you cut back to the goons, back down in the car park at the BMW. They're trying to break into it. They're, they're touching it and it's electrified and they get zapped and then they, they get the sledgehammers out and they start whacking it and it's you know bulletproof and shatterproof and... They're not getting through to it. So they message through to Stamper, who then messages through to Dr. Kaufman, and he kind of embarrassingly interrupts Dr. Kaufman as he's about to take out Bond um, with some static in his earpiece. And this is where you get more of the like silliness because it's like, oh, don't do that sort of thing. Oh, this is so yeah. embarrassing. Uh, anyway, Stamper's asked Kaufman to force Bond to unlock the car because clearly he knows how to do it. Uh, and he'll torture Bond and, until he does, which he's also apparently very good at, and he does it as a hobby, torturing. So not a very nice man, but he's got a funny voice. So, yeah. <laughs> yeah. 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 Um, Bond says that the way to do to unlock the car is with his phone, so he goes to use his phone, but the Kaufman's like, no, no, let me do it, and grabs the phone off of him. And Bond says, oh, just press press these buttons and it will unlock the car. Which, which he does, and obviously that's that's a trick, and it's the it activates the taser of the phone uh, at the bottom and shoots out some electrical zaps and deals with Kaufman and uh, gives Bond a chance to get up and, and grab him and, and grab his gun. And he gets Kaufman on the floor, on his knees, and points his own gun back at him, at his head. And this is what I mean with the tone, because this is quite a... For, for, but Prius Brosnan, anyway, this bit is quite gritty, where uh, Kaufman is saying, please, uh, I'm just a professional doing a job. Don't kill me. And Bond replies saying, me too. And just shoots him, point blank. You don't really see anything 
you know, gory, obviously. But yeah, he drops dead. And it's, it is quite like, oh, you don't really expect that from Pierce Brosnan. I think he can pull it off. I think it does work. Maybe just if they tone down the, the German doctor character a little bit, because it just kind of muddles it somewhat. Well, this is where I think this, the film actually turns around a lot for me. Because I think leading up to this scene, I was still like, what is this film? Like, why is it? Is it serious? Is it not? Obviously, it's mostly cheesy, but I think it jumps around a lot. You're right in this individual scene that that they kind of do contradict each other, especially because having this character massively goes against the serious storyline they're trying to have with Paris because Mm. she's just dead on the bed the whole time. Yeah. While this doctor's going like, oh, too loud radio, (laughs) y'all. Like with this dead woman on the bed, that bond is supposed to have a real connection to, but they it didn't work out for them. So, but the fact that Paris is kind of, I guess, some of it is that Paris is now dead, and we can move on from that storyline, really helps the film a ton because now we can focus more on like Wei Lin, who's the more interesting oh, yeah. and better character. And I think having Doctor Kaufman there, where, but just before this scene begun, or once he got to the hotel room. I I got like struck by lightning with the memory of like oh I know what's about to happen oh no, but then he shows up and he's just so much fun. <laughs> I really like him. Like he does so <laughs> little, but I found him incredibly entertaining. It was such a commitment to the humor that it just made me laugh. I thought it was just hilarious. And you're right, the line at the end does kind of go against it, but it's still a really cool line. And I think yeah. I was more on board. The inconsistency of the tone, I was more on board with it at this point because this scene is such a rubber stamp on, no, this is what we're doing. Like, this is the plan. This is the mission statement. And it took me kind of a while to get to that point. But as this scene happens, I was able to more get sucked into it and enjoy what this film is about. And yeah, he's the most silly character in the entire film, obviously. But we've now hit that, like... Not rock bottom, but we've now hit like the peak of the silliness of this film, which kind of allows you to just enjoy the rest of it, um, while also still throwing in some of those like more gritty moments for some reason. Um, but I kind of could enjoy it. I got to the point where I was just kind of enjoying it from this scene onwards. I want to see a spin-off with that character, free being shot, and J.W. Pepper. I think they go together quite well. Oh, no. <laughs> what do you mean, No. <laughs> You'd love it. You'd love it deep down. Don't lie to me. I, I want Doctor Kaufman for sure, but not J.W. Pepper. Let's not. Let's not go there. Let's not go to a dark place. <laughs> there's, there's another character. I'm sure there's like one more obviously comedic character that I'm missing, but they would make a good trio. I swear. BB maybe <laughs> get BB in there. No, maybe not. <laughs> BB. Oh, kissy kissy. Yeah. <laughs> right. Well, uh, after Bond has dealt with Dr. Kaufman, uh, he escapes through the window of the hotel room and he's again, he's spotted by Stamper. That Stamper gets around. I mean, he's still on the rooftop, but he spots Bond uh, escaping and um, Bond heads down back to the car park. He sees all the goons are still there around the car, still trying to get in, still can't work it out. And this is where we get the start of uh, the first kind of car chase, vehicle chase, of this film because there's two big ones and he starts by using the phone the trusty phone that does everything and actually using the remote control element of it and gives it a double tap and that releases some tear gas around the car 
which obviously distracts all of them around there and gives him a chance to start driving the car away. So he drives it around the corner, uh, the corner and lowers the window and dives through into the back seat of the car as it drives past. So this whole scene is Bond in the car, but he's not actually at the driving, you know, at the wheel in the driving seat. He's kind of crouched down at the back, uh, in the back seat in the rear. And this is a really fun scene. I Because at this point now, so Bond's jumped in, the music kicks in, and I really like this music. We've talked a little bit about maybe how it's been a bit all over the place with some things, but I think this track in particular works, especially with this scene um, of the car chase, because it is very electronic, but then you get, you still get some of the Bond brass. I, I think it's all just done quite well. Uh, at one point, you even get kind of like a weird piano mash. <laughs> it's like someone's just like going, I don't know, it adds to all the chaos that's unfolding on screen. But um, yeah, once he's in the car, uh, controlling it, controlling it from behind, it really is now just showing off all, all, all the things that this car has to offer. Uh, all the goons start chasing him. They're all in cars. They're all shooting. Uh, he uses Stinger missiles to blow up some henchmen in front of him. And I think he uses them later on to blow up a doorway or something. Well, he uh, tries to blow up a doorway. He, yeah, he tries to. Uh he uses spikes from underneath, like little metal spikes underneath as he's driving around because it all takes place in the car park, basically. It's going around all the different floors and levels and they shred some tyres behind him of another car and he actually drives over him again later on, but thankfully he has reinflating tyres so they just reinflate back up and he carries on and as all this is happening, you just get these shots of Pierce Brosnan in the back, just so giddy. He's, he's loving it. It's, it's boys with toys, as Natalia would say, um, whilst he's doing all this. And, mm. oh. Yeah, mm. I was just, I don't know. We're, we're not quite done with it. I think the concept's really strong. But I think it goes back to what you're saying. This is very chaotic. And I think broadly speaking, I think the action scenes in this film are too chaotic. And I kind of filled out with this one as well. But it's still a really fun idea for the set piece. Of course, it's a, I think Bond driving a car in a car park and being trapped and having to go backwards and up and down and trying to figure out that's really cool. But I think my I, I still like it. But I think the main problem for me is that it's yeah all of these scenes always have to go to eleven when perhaps they don't need to, and I just become a bit numb to all the explosions and craziness that all of these action scenes uh, seem to add in. There is one bit that I would say does cross that eleven. Mark, so uh, there's a goon with a big kind of bazooka rocket and aiming right down uh, to where Bond's driving. The car's coming up to it. And honestly, worst goon ever. (laughs) He somehow managed to have the worst aim and shoot through the broken windows of the front and rear uh, rear windows. Like there's holes in both of them and it just goes straight through. It probably does it hit another one behind? I think it Yeah, the out. car that's chasing Bond at that moment gets blown up by this goon. Honestly, you could have aimed anywhere else, you'd have been fine. Terrible. Um but the the part that kind of crossed the line for me in terms of wackiness is when they set up kind of metal cable across the car park, um put a piece of it like where you go up, and to stop or to get past it, Bond activates 
this little gadget that comes out of the hood ornament, the BMW logo, it rises up and it just so happens to have uh, these tiny little cutters at just the right height to cut this metal cable and allow them to get through. That is, I think, where it went a bit too far. I was so confused by that because I thought they were setting up, oh, Bond is lying down in the back, so it's just going to rip the top off, but it won't yeah. matter. But then, no, Bond then activates a little like buzz saw and saws through it, which, as you say, it's all quite perfect and syncs up. But I don't know. The setup for the car we had from Q was like, it's got all the standard equipment. So is that standard equipment? Is that just... Like, That's in what situation now. would you use that? <laughs> in my head... I'm doing a lot of help for the film here. In my head, it's it's sort of like got a sensor where it, it just knows to go to the right height, and it's uh, not just yeah, programmed. Maybe. It's not just programmed to be. Exactly I mean, it does have a right. camera in the front of the car, doesn't it? So I guess it could use that. Yeah, that's the way I'm I'm getting past it. But it is it is a bit much. I think the the what you said would have been a better idea actually, like the top being smashed off. They've done well, it that's before. what John would have done, and it makes more sense to do it here. Like you say, I don't know, Mister Trick there. I think. Yeah, I mean, I think it it would break how this scene ends with the car because Bond pretending to be in it. But still, I've like just don't do it. Like you could have just took it out; it would have been fine. Yeah, and I'll be honest, the reinflating tires, I thought that was kind of dumb as well. Like that he breaks his own tires and then hits a button and they just reinflate. It's like that's how is that? That's very that feels very sci-fi. <laughs> that a tire could repair itself and just inflate itself like that. Hmm. Maybe, I don't know. Q's very good. Q's I mean, very yeah, good. Q's excellent. There's no one better. Nobody does it better. That's what that Nobody song's about. Nobody does it better. <laughs> no one does it better than Q. Uh, but that's like replacing the rubber of the tire. You're not meant to think about it, so I'm going too far. But yeah, again, some of this stuff, it's still fun and I still like it, but some of this stuff, it's like just... Bring it down to like an eight, guys, and I think you would have had a better scene. Well, especially because you do have two, two of these scenes. Yeah, the, the second one doesn't have as many gadgets in it, but still. Uh, to end off this scene, uh, the set piece, Bond starts to drive, uh, starts to drive the car out onto the top of the the car park, and the, the, the German computers, like the voice is telling him off. Um, but just uh, before he does, he jumps out of the car. He does grab the encoder as well um, from the glove box and jumps out without the people behind him noticing. He carries on controlling it on the phone and up on the roof, just crashes it straight through the, the wall, straight down onto the street below and very dangerously straight into uh, an Avis car rental building. And that's got to be one of Bond's most reckless things there. I mean, he could have easily killed some innocent people, but it doesn't matter. It's all good. It all worked out. Yeah, I like that little moment because, you know, he rented it from Q, so now he's, like, returning it. So yeah. I quite like that gag. I'm surprised he didn't make a line there, say something. Like, I thought he well, would have quipped. I think it's because the computer, the, I keep saying computer, the car quips. Because doesn't the voice say, like, we hope you enjoyed your journey or something like that oh, when it crashes right. yeah, in. Yeah, it does, and doesn't I, it? I do like how Bond, you don't get quipped, but you just get a little, as the car's flying, you just see him, like, with his hands. It's like, ah, there we go. And it's great. Yeah. yeah, I will say though I've complained a little bit about this scene I do remember as a kid thinking this was like the coolest thing ever like you said before how you really like the idea of the phone but actually seeing this scene I remember really liking it this was like mm. my favourite scene in the film like the goons trying to get into the car and stuff and then 
this big crazy scene i did really like it it's just now that i'm a bit older and we've seen quite a few of these films it's like it's still pretty good it's still pretty fun but some of the stuff i think just crosses a line but it's still i, I do remember loving it when i was younger yeah i i still I, I do like the scene i like the premise of it and i think it's uh kind of i was gonna say done to its fullest potential and then some perhaps <laughs> maybe too much i think that's fair yeah so we then cut to a u.s army base in the south china seas and we see a helicopter landing at this base and bond gets out but it's in his commander gear like the the navy commander gear so it's in blue and he's wearing the white cap as well i don't know if they ever explain why he's in this gear because they're not at sea but it's it's super nice to see first time we're seeing Piers Brosnan in the gear and he well he looks fantastic oh yeah looks great looks great so as he gets off we hear a yo jimbo and it's jack wade from goldeneye uh i completely forgot jack wade came back i knew he came back but in my head i kind of merged this film with the world is not enough so like some of this stuff i wasn't too sure which film he was in but yeah i do remember him coming back wait is he in the the world is not enough as well i don't think so i kind of mean like before watching this film i didn't know if he was in this one or this one right because zukovsky comes back in that film so it's sort of yeah i can see how that might blur together well i remember that because of the tar that that helps yeah uh, but yeah, so Bond's like, what the hell are you doing here, Wade? <laughs> so yeah, Wade kind of explains America, just like the last film, we're not officially part of any of this. We don't want to get between Britain and China. We don't want anything to do with this. But another American man kind of comes up to them and Bond shows him the encoder because he got the red box from before and he was able to keep it. So he shows him the encoder and there's like a little, I don't know why, but there's like a, computer thing set up for them in the middle of this like airstrip which is more i guess for plot convenience so we don't have to see them go inside but it's a bit strange it's terrible terrible place for a conversation can't hear a thing it's very loud yeah yeah it makes no sense but yeah they plug in the encoder to this big computer type thing and bond asks this man who's with them the american like could you use this in theory to redirect a ship of which I think the man is all like, oh, do you mean the, the Devonshire? And Wade's like, no one, we're just talking hypotheticals here. No one said that name. You're crazy. We're just asking if you could do it. Of which he explains like, yes, well, I guess you could. And we get like a Star Trek style explanation from Bond where he kind of explains that you could do that. Then I think Bond is like, ah, like putting a magnet next to a compass. Like trying to simplify <laughs> these scientific explanations. Here you go, dummy. This is what this means. Yeah, but I don't think you needed that. I I bought that this encoder could redirect someone. It's fine. Yeah. (laughs) Um, So yeah, so you see two circles on the map and the man says, oh, well, these two circles should be lined up, but they're not. So he's like, somebody has tampered with it. Somebody has done something with it. So Bond asks the man, like, could you find, now that we know how it's been tampered with, could you use this to find where the Devonshire sunk? And he's like, yes. Of which Bond turns to Wade and says, I need a favour. And we then jump cut to Bond on a plane. And we have this like American instructor army type where he's like, you're going to do the halo jump. This is the most dangerous jump we ever do. You're going to be travelling 200 miles per hour. So don't break your neck and also make sure to take off your gear. So he explains what the halo jump is. I don't really know what it is, but it's what he's doing and... It's, it's played more for comedy 
where it's just like, this is super dangerous. Everyone dies doing this. And Wade's like, are you sure you want to do this? And he's like, it's, it's the only way I can do this, I suppose. So Wade tells him, once you want to get extracted, turn on your beacon and we'll come pick you up. I don't know why he says that, because I don't think we ever see Wade again in the rest of the film. No. It's uh, a bit odd. Um, so Bond goes to the jump, and we see the Wade, the army instructor, and the man from before who helped with the encoder is saying Bond is actually about to jump into Vietnamese waters. So where the ship ended up was actually near Vietnam. So we're about to send a man all in US gear into Vietnam waters. So I can't remember exactly what they say, but it's, it's played for laughs about the idea. It was like, oh, that's not good. The old yeah. Americans being seen in Vietnam. Like, <laughs> Which, uh, Yeah, it's it's a very brief thing. So Bond then falls out of the plane and we get a scene of Bond very high up falling. I don't think they quite say what height it is, but this is a ridiculously high jump. I think the halo jump is quite a famous thing about the idea of being ridiculously high up to kind of not be seen i believe is trying to be stealthy and yeah. bond is just dropping in um, my head yeah well i might i might get this wrong because i might i might just record it wrong but the guy that's like instructing him and saying your head might snap back who also by the way feels like he should be straight out of predator or something like that like mm. he really very strange uh i mean i get why they do it it's like tough american guy but um i want to say he said three miles Oh, did he? Okay, that makes sense. They would say it. But he gives a lot of numbers and info at you. He does. I could have got that wrong, but it's big. Like you say, it's big. Yeah, it's very big. So he's falling, and we do kind of feel that a little bit, where Bond is falling and just dropping. But he then goes into the clouds, and we see Bond in the clouds, and then he comes out of the clouds, and we see the ocean, and he just goes like straight into the water, incredibly quick. Oh, he pulls his parachute just before he lands, but still drops very quickly, um, and then takes off his parachute to go into the diving gear. And this scene was incredibly disappointing. That dropping scene, I feel like the Moonraker one was better than this because they do a decent job with the sense of speed of Bond falling, and there are quite a lot of shots where it's kind of you know staying on Bond, but you never really get that sense of scale because so much of it is just too zoomed in. You don't get any of those shots trying to sell the height. And it's like, man, this should have been really, really cool. And we've had better shots than this. I thought with, like, in the late 90s, they could do this better than previous films. But it's just like, ah, this should have been... In another Bond film, this would have been the highlight of the film. But here it's just a bit... Yeah, Bond jumped from a plane. Oh, I thought they did all right, actually. I I think... There's like maybe a couple shots where you, you're seeing the clouds from overhead. And to me, that was the enough of a sense of scale to sell it. Um, by the way, it was five miles. I just looked up. It was five miles. So That's, a long, that's a, long. It's a, it's a long fall. Um, yeah, I didn't mind this, actually. I don't know. When you say Moonraker, you're referring to the pre-title sequence. Yes. Right. You need Jaws there for a sense of scale. Get Jaws back. I think so, but but those like kind of they that just sold it more that they were really high up and then falling. There was just, maybe it was the editing, the directing, whatever it was. I really wanted to feel this, and something I've been incredibly impressed by by the Bond films is the way they shoot these aerial scenes, and I think this one just felt really disappointing mm. in comparison. It's this this should have been better, 
for Bond doing a halo jump. And the, yeah, you're, the cloud stuff is cool, but they just needed to set it more. And I just don't think they hit the heights to do oh. what they could have done with this scene. Yeah. But anyway, so Bond is in the water and he's gone quickly into diving gear. He's just taking off his parachuting. Now he's in, you know, he's a diver and he very quickly goes into the ship. He finds the HMS Devonshire sunk. So he goes inside, he swims in through the giant hole that like the drill missile left and turns on a flare. And we get like a jump scare of one of the corpses of the crew. And it's like, ah, like the music kind of kicks in, but then like there's even more bodies and just nothing plays. So it was a bit, I I don't know why there was a jump scare there. I'm also going to be a little bit gruesome here and say that I don't know how much time is it to have passed. I guess not that much. But I feel like they did floating corpses better in Your Eyes Only. I swear they made him look a bit more dead. Whereas I agree, but like we some... know that uh, M was only given 48 hours to do this. Oh, so that's like true. That's true. Okay, I'll let I'll give it a pass then. Yeah. Yeah, it's... I, I, this seems quite brief, which I like, because sometimes with these Bond stuff where, again, I'm the guy who likes Thunderball, I like that diving stuff, but we've seen this quite a few times, and for your eyes, I only left a bad taste in my mouth, so I'm a little bit on the fence when it comes to diving scenes now, but this one's actually quite quick. So we see Bond go into the ship, and he goes into the missile room that we saw before and sees that one of the missiles is missing. But as he's looking at the missile, somebody comes up behind Bond and jabs him in the side with a harpoon. <laughs> so they start fighting for a little bit, of which this other person loses their breathing tube on the face, and Bond sees enough of their face to say, it's Wei Lin. Again? Wei Lin's back, yeah. Uh, she is back. So, like, I think this commotion causes the ship to then starting to slip off this rock that it's on, or start to shake. So it tilts, and that causes all the missiles to start tilting, and it it blocks the entrance that they came in. So now that, you know, they're now working together somewhat because they know who each other is. I don't know how she knows it's Bond, but whatever, it's fine. Um, so they're now stuck inside while the ship is shaking, so the ship might fall down at any moment. They've got to get out, and they see a hatch above them or a big pipe. And they try to get through, but they can't because their oxygen tanks are too big. So they have to ditch the oxygen tanks. So they both ditch them. They both start swimming up. And we get some more shots of the the rocks underneath the ship falling because it's going to go down. But they swim through. It's all quite tight. But they manage to escape and, and reach up to the top of the surface where... There's a small fishing boat and there's a little bit of a quip about Bond being a banker because they talk a little bit, but... Wailing calls over the boat because it's her people, but Stampers on the boat and kills the guy on that boat who was with Wailing, and that's them pretty much captured. And I actually quite like this diving scene. I think the concept of them being stuck in the boat and having to ditch their diving gear to escape is really strong. And I feel weird for saying this, but I almost wish it was longer. <gasps> Wow. Because I think some of the tension is somewhat lost due to how rushed this is. And mm. I don't think the Devon sh- like the ship ever falls down anyway. Like, it's kind of just shakes a bit and they escape and we never see it again. It's not like it actually blows up or collapses or anything. They just, they get out. So it's like a cool setup, but then they just do it. It's one of those in an action film where there's not really any... They set up some interesting stakes... But then they just do it and it's fine. 
Hmm. Yeah, I, I liked it too, actually. Uh, coming from me, I'm not a massive fan of underwater stuff. Even though if you're eyes only, it's very high up on my list at the moment. Um, but uh, I think I just appreciate, I mean, kind of the fact it came from the Halo jump scene as well is maybe I'm just getting into being an old man, but just a bit of peace and quiet in the film. <laughs> just slow things down a bit. And with all the craziness we just had in the car scene, you've now got this. You've got very, it's very visual storytelling, isn't it? I mean, you're, un- you're underwater. You can't have any dialogue. It's all just pointing and gesturing and, and what have you. And I, I can appreciate a film that just knows when to have the action and then slow things down a bit. Still, there's still action, but just in a different way. And yeah, just it's just nice as uh, as an audience for that. Yeah, I completely agree. It's a nice tone setter while also being exciting and interesting. But I would have taken more of it. I would have liked more of the Halo Jump and better framing for that. And I would have taken a little bit more of this, which is odd. But I think the concepts are just strong enough that they could have done a little bit more if they wanted to. Tom wanting a longer Bond film. I need it. What is what has happened? Is it upside down world? <laughs> is that joke from the nineties as well, Joe? <laughs> I just want to get into it, you know. Uh, okay, so, <laughs> sorry, I'm getting called out here with my terrible sense of humor. It's been eighteen Once... episodes. This is where we get nasty. This is <laughs> oh, this is going to get interesting then. <laughs> Once. Bond and Wei Lin have been captured. They're taken on a helicopter. They're handcuffed together, which plays a big part later on. They're handcuffed together in the copter and taken to Saigon. I don't think it's called Saigon anymore. Don't know what it is called, but I'm pretty no sure idea. that's it's one of those Vietnam, places. Vietnam, right? Yeah, somewhere in Vietnam. Um, to uh, Carver's headquarters there, um, his news network building there. You could tell it's his because once again. We get another big banner of his face, just like we had in Hamburg. Uh, There's a huge banner on the side of the building, uh, which will come into play later on. And as they're taken inside the building, um, taken to go see Carver, they're going through a hallway. And Waylin, this bit is like a real blink and you miss it moment. Waylin spots uh, General Chang, turns out to be, who is someone from the Chinese army. Uh she spots him going past as if coming out from talking to Carver. Um, but I don't think we've had any mention of General Chang up until this point. No, he gets mentioned quite a bit after this point, but no, we've never heard of him until so now. We, yeah, we're just meant to take that. Oh, that's important. He's an important character. Remember that uh, as they go in to see Carver in this big room. And once again, Carver's on his, Elliot Carver's on his little... Tippy tappy PDA. He loves that thing. Basically, an iPad before an iPad. And he is typing up Bond and Waylin's obituaries on the big screen in front of him for the next day's paper and kind of reveling in it as he, as he tends to do with this sort of thing. And with that, he sort of is revealing to Bond and Waylin or them to each other who they really are that Bond is Secret Service for uh, the British and that Waylin is, I wrote this down, Chinese People's External Security Force. So I guess the same thing, the equivalent bit in China. Uh, and you do get this little bit where Bond mentions, or he asks, oh, uh, are you going to do the same thing for Paris? About writing her obituary. And Carver 
responds saying that actually Bond was the one who wrote her obituary when he asked her to betray him. And I, I just like that because, as I mentioned earlier, when Bond says, I didn't ask you to be involved in this, it's like, yes, you did. Bond is definitely the cause of that. And I like that it's actually, he's getting called out for it finally on liar. screen by someone. He's a liar. Yeah. yeah, that was all you, Bond. You were the one who did that. So don't, don't start getting all, you know, snarky with me. Uh, <laughs> anyway. Yeah, so once um, Bond and Waylon know who each other are, Bond tries to sort of trick and mislead Carver into believing that, oh, yeah, these t- we've been working together for ages. You know, you're never going to do your plan, um, which Carver very quickly refutes because he brings up some headlines on the big screen behind him, and they're all kind of these very scary-sounding ones. Well, one of them, well, yeah, most of them are about uh, escalating tension between Britain and China. And then it ends on one saying the Empire will strike back. And he's like, oh, I rather like that one. And it wasn't even mine. Uh, uh, so, yeah, he's basically he knows that they're lying because the two countries are are still at each other's throats and they have not got back to any of their commands yet with any news or anything. So he starts to then compare himself and his media Im- empire to Napoleon, the likes of Napoleon and Caesar and with this with his new network and satellites he would be able to reach the most people ever in the history of the world and influence them all and basically compare himself to god you know going proper crazy now bond even says you're crazy and he doesn't really care <laughs> i was it's half expecting to be like is that you dressed as hitler in the background <laughs> once he started saying about napoleon it's like oh no here we go again Wade comes in, is like, oh, I've got an idea for you. Ah, a museum oh, of sorts. Uh, yeah. <laughs> and uh, as he's doing this, uh, yeah, he ends up his little speech and Gupta comes in and, and tells him that General Chang is is waiting for him. So Carver goes to leave Bond and Waylin in the capable hands of Stamper, who's also there, and his toys, because we soon learn that Stamper was an apprentice of Dr. Kaufman. Yeah, that guy. Uh, and he was being taught the art of torture. And Carver starts talking about uh, chakra points and all these places where uh, you can be tortured and it hurts a lot. And, you know, we can take out your heart and you can watch it stop beating, all that sort of villainous mumbo jumbo, um, along with this kind of very ornate box full of kind of cartoonish looking uh spikes and blades and things and so ah use this one for or leave this one till last he says and yeah it's all very uh it's all very cheesy but as carver goes to leave with uh to go see general chang bond kind of kicks the desk a little bit or does something to distract one of the guards nearby and knock him over and since they're still handcuffed together him and waylin waylin and does some martial arts and and uh does like a spin kick and takes out another one and they kind of work together to take out all these people around him. Bond tries to use one of these tortured devices and throws it at Stamper, but it just gets him in the leg and doesn't really uh doesn't really seem to bother him very much. Kind of comes back later on that idea of uh pain tolerance, I guess. But um Bond grabs a gun from one of the, the knocked out guards, starts shooting up the place, shooting up all this all the pottery and all the art and everything and everyone around there. And they eventually make their way to the window and shoot the window open, jump down through it and land on the 
the rooftop of this building because I guess they were the very penthouse bit. So now on the rooftop of it and they realize they're trapped. So Waylin has a suggestion, has an idea to use that big banner of Carver's face that's down the side of the building. So they each grab a bit of rope that is being um, used to like tie it up and they just jump off. They jump off and they rip this banner straight down the middle as they fall down, as they sort of ab- abseil down the building. And thankfully it doesn't just rip all the way down. That'd be pretty funny if it just like, the plan just completely failed and it just ripped all the way. <laughs> they just fell fell to their deaths. But no, it stops right near the end and uh, gives them a chance to sort of uh, use their weight to smash open one of the office windows next to them and like uh, spill into it, smash through into it. I think, yeah, well, this is the like beginning of Bond and Waylin working together, which I guess we'll talk about a bit more in the next scene. But great, <laughs> like yeah. really great stuff. This handcuff stuff is really awesome. It's such it, it's it's with Bond, and it's like a lot of action comedy. To, you know, it's balancing the action and the comedy, and this one kind of really gives that great balance. But um, I just want to go back to like because at this point I kind of shift gears and was enjoying the cheese a bit more. So having Carver come back to for another round of cheese. I was kind of up for that. Oh and yeah, he goes all in on it. But he has some good lines where Bond calls him insane, but he's just like, "Well, the difference between insanity and genius is success." And I'm just like, "I like that. Good for you, Carver." But I so, like him. I, I, well, no, I love him. I think he's a great villain. I, I definitely warmed up to him a lot more as it went on because you do have to treat him a certain way and. The cheese is just all in at this point, as you say, with the torture stuff. I think in another Bond film where he's talking about torturing methods, it would be a little bit more intimidating. But this is just so silly. Stamford's just a silly German man with Carver in the background saying he's God. It's just, you just don't buy it. And Bond has a really great line where it's just, I think uh, Stamper is saying, oh, the record is 52 hours to keep someone alive while torturing them. I aim to break that record. So Bond just says, I thought watching your show was torture enough. <laughs> yeah, screw you, Carver. Get wrecked. Like for Carver's personality type and Bond's personality type, it's like the perfect line. Um, they have created such a great villain for Bond to take the mickey out of, somewhat like what Sean Connery did with Goldfinger and stuff. It's not the same dynamic because obviously Goldfinger is very different to Carver, but you can still get these lines and poking fun and I think the fact that, yeah, this torture stuff isn't taken super seriously kind of is in the film benefit. At this point, this just kind of a very silly, cheesy set piece, which leans into the other cheesy set piece of stripping the banner down and falling. It's mm. like it kind of finds that balance a lot better here. And this is when I was kind of really enjoying the film. Yeah, I like this whole scene. I particularly like there's a line where you learn about Damper's... Uh... Stamper was being trained by Kaufman and Stamper goes, he was like a father to me. And it's just, it's just <laughs> really? Can you imagine those two together? Good God. <laughs> uh, yeah. It's like, there's so much of this stuff you just don't buy, but it's kind of like, I think that's the point. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. So yeah, very entertaining, fun scene because we get a lot of Carver, you know, we actually get a lot of him. It's not something I was really thinking about when watching this film. But, you know, we talked a lot about villains and how they use the villains. And I'm a big fan of when they introduce the villain early and then keep him throughout the rest of the film. And 
this 100% does that. It's the same as Goldfinger. It's the same as Zorin. It's very much that templating. How this is the scene of Bond has been captured and Carter or Carver is, uh, you know, getting his philosophies in his face and he doesn't actually tell him his plan. I think they do mention about something about midnight. We're going to have to bring up our plans to midnight because of you. Mm. So that's all you really get. But no, it's more just him like saying stuff in his face and it's more silliness and it's just fun. Fun. That's a, that is just it. Just fun. So they have now escaped successfully. We don't see them in a lift, thankfully. We just cut to them at the very bottom of the building. And we get some bickering between Bond and Wei Lin, where she's like, let's take the car. But Bond's like, no, no, the bike is quicker. And she's like, I'll drive. And Bond's like, no, 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 I'm driving. Uh, so eventually they get onto this bike where Bond is driving it and she's like on the back, but it's because they're still handcuffed. So I, I don't know why they don't just separate themselves, but it doesn't matter. Uh, so they then drive up and she kind of like climbs over the top of him and she's like on the left handle of the bike and he's on the right handle of the bike. So they're kind of working together to drive this thing. And the Bond theme plays because of course it does. At least it's like appropriate here. Like this is when you would, similar to Goldeneye with a tank scene, this is kind of like the equivalent of that, the bike scene and the chase scene. So it's mm. nice to actually hear it in the in the right place uh, for this. Yeah. So there's a load of Jeeps specifically Range Rovers, if anyone's interested. A lot of Jeeps chasing them and shooting at them. So they're going through the busy streets of Saigon and lots of people on bikes. So Bond being on the bike or Bond and Waylin being on the bike means they can kind of maneuver a little bit better, but they're still being chased. So Bond asks, how many of them are there? How many are chasing? So she says, hang on. And she like flips and sits on his lap looking the other way, like climbs over the top and then sits and starts looking to see how many people there are, but they go into like this factory loading area. So it's like a, where a load of shops are, but it's just a load of people like loading stuff up off trucks. So they drive through being chased by the Jeeps and Wayling grabs a hook nearby and like cuts a load of barrels open. And that causes, I don't know if it's water or something, but a load of barrels fall on them and Bond's like, great job. And another jeep chases but that crashes into a truck full of fireworks and then all the fireworks start going off i'm assuming that's cgi but i i didn't really think about it until now no i don't yeah i didn't pay attention too much to that bit yeah but yeah so a lot of fireworks go off and bond hits a dead end they're not too sure where to go so he turns around for some reason he doesn't quick wheelie i don't know why because um, he's then, cool all right that's why oh the cool factor yeah yeah about that so he then goes up on are they i put boats but i'm not very convinced they are boats they might just be trucks it, what when they go up a level yeah because he starts going up on all the ramps yeah i think they're boats i thought they were boats as well but we don't see a river anywhere else i don't think or who knows I know. <laughs> something <laughs> so i will say boats it might just be a canal because they are on saigon which is near the near the docks but yeah so he drives up on a lot of boats all the time he's just being shot at constantly it's something that i don't really like about this film whenever they do action again just has to be constant bullets just constantly landing beside bond wherever he is and it just really is lame um, but yeah so he drives up and he goes up to the rooftops and i don't quite know what the the city layout of saigon is but i guess there's a load of like slums on top of rooftops where people live because they drive through like a clothesline 
Oh, right, yeah. Yeah, I guess so. Well, yeah, maybe not, he, and they just did I, that for the film, but yeah. Yeah, maybe, but I think there's meant to be a lot of slums up here. But yeah, they're driving on the rooftops on the bike, and they go through a clothesline and get some clothes in their face, so they throw it. But now they're on the roof, a helicopter shows up and starts, like, shooting at them. And yeah, non-stop shooting, lots of shooting as Bond is driving on the on the rooftops trying to get away from the helicopter. And eventually they enter into a house and stop. So the helicopter circles back and starts waiting for them, waiting to come out the other side. Bond sees that there's a rooftop opposite them. So they're on one rooftop. There's a gap, and then there's another rooftop. So Bond asks, waiting to get onto the back again. And it's like, oh, I need you for the weight distribution for what I'm about to do. So he drives out of the house from the other side, gives himself a little bit of a run up, and then goes full speed. And the helicopter is quite low at this point, trying to find them. So the bike jumps over the helicopter and then lands on the next roof and like crashes down. And there's a naked woman in there having a bath. That's that's very quick. I don't even think they see her. It's just they then, because they've smashed into someone's house, they drive away. And then there's just this woman looks annoyed and then smiles. I don't know why she smiles. I, I don't think she's in the bath. I think she's in bed. Oh. With someone. Oh. It's the, it's the same sort of gag they're doing in so many chases where, yeah, something's revealed and it's like those two people in the camper van in of you took here or something along those lines, yeah. Yeah, the guy's using the toilet in <laughs> Living Daylight. Yeah, yeah. Oh, that makes more sense why she smiles then. I just assumed she was showering or bathing or something because she was just naked and you don't see the second person, but that makes a little bit more sense. Yeah. Yeah, so Bond then leaves and he kind of goes up on people's balconies and just driving along and every time he drives along the balcony it just collapses so we get this like chain of Bond driving along a lot of balconies with everything collapsing underneath and they then kind of come off those and end up in a crowd of people and they're not going very fast so the helicopter shows up again it then goes down points downwards and like points the spinning blades like into the street and starts slowly going forward. And Bond is... Ah, oh, do you remember what he shouts at everyone? What? Do, no? Ah, oh, because he's shouting a phrase in what I assume is... Fiat, you know, in a, not in English. Trying to get people to move out the way. But he keeps shouting it. And I didn't write it down. Oh, I, I didn't write it down either. No. Ah, but he's shouting for people to get out of the way. Everyone's panicking because they see the helicopter. They're slowly trying to get through. The helicopter's catching them up. And, like, soaring everything up with the blades. And... Eventually, they're able to kind of get and escape down an alley on on the left. So Wei then spins on the bike and sits on his lap again. So he, she can see the helicopter, but they drive on and they get to this alley, another alleyway, and they're cornered. So she's like trapped, and Bond says never. So Bond, so the helicopter does its same trick where it like goes close to the ground and then tilts forward, so the blades coming down. But it doesn't go all the way down this time. So Bond grabs a metal hook of a clothesline. He then charges the helicopter full speed. And at the last second, slides underneath it. Like goes like horizontal, slides underneath it. They jump off the bike. He then throws the line into the propeller. This causes the propeller to crash and explode. And that's the helicopter taking it care of. And I will just say before talking about the scene, those there's like dummies inside the helicopter and it's <laughs> so fake. 
Uh, yeah, I spotted that too. Like one of the arms is so stiff, sticking out. It it, it does look like, like action man figures, like in a <laughs> little toy. It doesn't look very good. No, it doesn't. Uh, but yeah, this is definitely one of the standout parts of the film. Like it's a good use of the Bond theme. It's a it's a chase, but I think they've really, you know, we complained a little bit about the Living Daylights chase being a bit plain. And it does feel like since then they've made a real effort to mix it up and do something different. And this time we have a bike chase, but he's handcuffed to a Chinese agent. And that gives that really good balance of action and comedy. It's funny seeing them go back and forth and bicker, but it's not annoying. It never really distracts and you get lots of destruction and it's a very unique environment. And the helicopter is almost treated in a very like, I don't know, like a menace way like it's almost got its personality of its own with the way they chase it down and i think that makes it even more intimidating and you just get some cool stunts with the bike and it's just it's great this is this is a really great like entertaining scene yeah i i I think you were spot on with the helicopter stuff there because we've had helicopters in bond films before and i've i remember kind of complaining about some of them because they're just kind of they just do the same thing. They just fly over, they'll shoot, and then Bond will do something and it'll blow up. Whereas I like that with this, they actually did something a bit different and brought the helicopter very, very low down, where it's doing that tilt and with the with the rotor blades and like trying to churn them all up. And it just as you say, it gives this helicopter a bit of a personality of its own. And the fact it just keeps throwing back and it keeps getting so close to Bond and Waylin on on the bike. I really like the scene. I, w- I would say, actually, it's a little bit... It's a smidge too long for me. I think it, something about it, it could have just been cut down a little bit. I did, by the end of it, I was like, okay, yeah, just get out of this now. Um, but for most of it, I, I did, yeah, I did like the whole element of the handcuffing together and moving around the bike and the jump over it. It's kind of very video gaming like with some parts, like jumping over the helicopter, sliding under the helicopter, yeah. Yeah, I mean, I still would say, like, some of this stuff could be toned down, like... Like I mentioned before, the shooting stuff gets really silly. Yeah, like you're right. Really, really silly. Just how there's constant bullets landing. It just looks so fake. It's just quite unbelievable. And yeah, why, when he's driving along the balconies and they all collapse underneath, like it's a decent visual, but maybe that could have been toned down. Like, yeah, a little bit of toning down would have been good. But I think overall they got the balance really right with this one. And I think the fact that this film is a little bit more kind of cheesy than other films, I mean, like it, it just fits right in. Uh, especially with this helicopter like some other bond films if you did the helicopter chase this way i'll be like why is the helicopter like a character that's a bit weird <laughs> but i think because it's this film and the way it's kind of handled it's uh it works really well uh very exciting scene very very good stuff yeah so this then they've escaped um so we cut to bond and waylin showering in the streets i guess that's what you do in saigon so they they've got this like yeah, there's just a load of water showering on top of them and they're cleaning themselves. And Bond says, oh, you were very good with that hook. And Wei says, oh, you were pretty good on the bike. But they're still handcuffed together. So bon- Wei Lin's like, oh, don't you get any ideas? But Bond like, takes her earring and then uses that to unlock the handcuffs. So then Alfrey, or he unlocks her handcuffs or her side of it. And Bond suggests like, hey, we should work together on this case. That would be a good idea, right? And she just locks the handcuffs onto the pipe of the water and says, I work better alone. Uh, or she works alone, I think is what she says. So walks away and 
Bond is now handcuffed to the pipe with the water, so he just tears it off instantly, and water just shoots everywhere. Um, but we cut to Wailing arriving at this building, somewhat looking abandoned building, uh, in Saigon on her bike. So Bond is trying to follow, but doesn't know where she's gone, but it's just kind of looking around. It's another scene where Bond is just a bit lost, being like, huh, normally I just find them straight away, but this is weird. <laughs> what do I do now? I guess I'll just stand here for a bit, but normally she's just right. They normally make this more obvious. I'm very confused. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, so he starts looking around the street and he sees a, a jeep pull up to a building, which is full of goons. And all the goons enter into this one building where Wei, uh, Wei Lin entered and they start fighting. And it's all very martial arts. Uh, so it's it's... I don't know exactly what type of martial arts, karate, whatever you want to call it, but we get a very martial arts-focused fight between Wei Lin and these goons. So Bond knocks the man out who's waiting outside. Um, I, I think there might be a gag here, but if there was, I didn't write it down. Oh, it, 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 he goes... Is it where he goes with the lighter? And he goes to light his cigarette and then there's like a little flourish and just punches yeah him that's the one it was a bit odd i i guess i don't know if it's meant to be funny but yeah he goes to light it but just punches him in the face the the old light cigarette punch of the face it's a classic oh. oh yeah so way is in there and she's fighting about four guys but he's overall you know holding her own doing a pretty good job fighting back it's uh she starts trying to run away but she kind of gets choked a little bit by one of the guys but she uses that as an opportunity to run up along the wall and like flip over the top of the guy to escape. And yeah, she then starts climbing up the ladder, trying to get from these guys, but he's still kind of kicking them. And it's kind of down to one goon left. So Wailing kicks the man down the stairs who tries to chase uh, him. And he finds a gun and is about to shoot her. But Bond comes out from behind and, and knocks them out and... I don't have a ton to say about this scene. I guess it's just more interesting to see like Waylin and I guess people who are meant to be from Vietnam, I would guess, because it's Saigon. I would guess maybe they're from China because, oh yeah, Bond identifies their guns as Chinese army, so these are meant to be Chinese people. But just seeing this type of martial arts scene, it's, yeah, it, it seems well put together. It, it seems like it's a decent fight. So I guess I don't really have much to say. Yeah, I think... It's never going to be sort of Jackie Chan or Bruce Lee levels of martial arts here. This is it's very Hollywood uh, light, you know, like martial art light sort of thing. Although that's not to discredit um, what's her face. She just won an Oscar, for goodness sake. Michelle. Uh, Michelle Yeoh? Yeah, that sounds right. She She's good. Like She's really good. I just think like probably in the script, they didn't really want to do too much with it. But it's it's still far, far better than the last time we had this sort of stuff, which was the man with the golden gun. I mean, that was like <laughs> that was like a lifetime ago, and I guess it really it was. But um yeah, I, I think all this martial arts stuff's great. Uh, it's a nice change of pace. It's I like I really like Wei Lin. I think she's a great character. And just seeing these little scenes where she's dealing with them herself and getting it done for the most part. Uh she's a solid character. Um and actually has some substance behind her so all good for me oh yeah it's nice to because we're getting another bond girl who's not supposed to just be the old james sort of thing where she's the the a chinese agent and yeah it's surprising just how well this kind of works like throughout the film 
she hasn't really been set up personality-wise all that much, but seeing her just show up where Bond is, that's really cool. Yeah. Like, that's really cool to see her show up either before Bond or after Bond. I think it's mostly after Bond. I don't think they make her better than Bond or anything, but just having her kind of show up makes her really intriguing and interesting. So now that we actually have them working together and we get a very entertaining scene with them and Carver, we get a very entertaining scene with a chase and now we see her fight. It's like, this is all just kind of entertaining stuff. It does make it give that more generic 90s action film, just suddenly having like a martial arts scene. Because, you know, this is around the time of, I guess, The Matrix would have been soon after this and Crouching Tiger, which I think the actress was in as well. Um, So it makes it feel a little bit more generic, but it does set up her character a lot and she has been set up up to this point. So it's just great having her on screen. Like she's a really great presence in the film. That's it really, isn't it? You said it yourself. She's been sprinkled in up until, well, this scene before as well, but uh, we've seen just little glimpses and there's actual payoff now. And I think that works really well. Um, I think if we'd had this character just out of the blue, it would not have worked anywhere near as well. So it was a good decision for them to do that. Yeah, very well done. So yeah, so Bond tells her about the gun, saying it's Chinese army, which means that General Chang sent them. So General Chang is uh, coming after her. But I think she then agrees to work with Bond as long as it's not personal. But Bond's like, this is about stopping the war, which she agrees, which I really didn't get that line. It's like, what is that? What do you mean? Like, what are you talking about? Like, yeah, Bond is an agent trying to stop a war. What? Why would you? I don't know. It I guess she's. Awkward. I guess I took it as she's just suspicious of the West. Oh, because, maybe you know, maybe that he she thinks he's got ulterior motives as well. I don't know. Maybe yeah, it, it just goes so quickly. I thought just cut the line, but uh, so Waylon explains that they. This is so bad. <laughs> this, this mumbo jumbo saying that some stealth material went missing the stealth material and they traced it back to carver and they're saying carver must be trying to spill a stealth plane but bond is like hmm that's probably actually a stealth boat so he must have been using the stealth boat to do his evil plans but stealth material you're just gonna stealth material stealth material stealth material oh we left our stealth material lying around and you would have thought you wouldn't find it, could you? It's stealth material. <laughs> How did they know it went missing? Yeah. Yeah, they were just like, <laughs> just have to reach out and be like, oh, there's nothing here. Usually I can feel some stealth material. <laughs> that's a good, that would, that's a good gag in like a Q branch thing there. I feel like there's, there's potential there. I like oh, that. Oh, they must have done. Maybe with the Vanquish. Maybe they made a joke about that, the Vanish. Oh, God, yeah, yeah. But they they had a lot of stealth material for that car, so that works out. That's quite. They good. had a ton of stealth, material, and none of it went missing either. Oh god, can you imagine? Uh, so yes, yeah, so they then they remember that Carver mentioned about moving his plans forward to midnight. So they're probably he's probably using his stealth boat or stealth ship to, in order to do his plans before before midnight tonight. So they mentioned about warning both their governments to make sure they're aware of what's going on, and. Wade in then presses a load of buttons and it turns this quite basic looking house into like a spy cave for lack of a better term like all the walls flip and you see a load of computers and terminals but you also see some guns and weapons 
And then there's a joke here about Bond saying like, oh, you go and grab the equipment. I'll send the message to our governments. And then he looks at the keyboard and it's all in Chinese. And he's like, you know what? Actually, I'll let you type. Which is surprising because normally I would suspect Bond to be like, well, I went to Cambridge. So <laughs> oh, here we go. I'm good. Here we go. <laughs> Just start typing away speaking fluent Chinese. But no, they actually have acknowledged that maybe there's a language that Bond isn't very good at. Yeah. I mean, we got that at the very beginning as well, where he's in Oxford. He's, you know, he's trying to learn, uh, well, learn <laughs> the Danish. Oh, yeah, I'm sure that's that's what was I'm going sure on. that was all serious. Yes, yes. Yeah, so, uh, yeah, Waylon goes on the computer and starts looking for the stealth ship and where that might be. So they're trying to narrow down the port. So there's a little bit of back and forth between the two about trying to find what port or what bay could this ship come from. So they're like, well, here's all the ones in the area. Then it's like, okay, which ones could go to where the Devon ship or the Devonshire, sorry, uh, ship sunk back in one night. So that then makes it go lower. And then it's like, okay, so which one could it be in terms of any suspicious activity? So they eventually narrow down to one bay where it could be. But all while this is happening, Bond is just like playing with all the gadgets. It's very much like what we see with Q Branch where Bond usually just, like, gives some gadgets. Like, he's playing with gadgets, but this time he's playing with, like, Chinese version of the gadgets. So one of them is, like, a Chinese dragon head, and he just puts his arm on it, and it just shoots fire. And then he picks up, like, one of those fans that you can... One of those, like, Chinese fans, and kind of... It shoots out a load of strings. And it ends with Bond finding about the new Wolfer gun as well, and just kind of picks it up and takes a look at it. It's like, oh, it's the new model which is nice, I guess. It doesn't really come up at all, but I guess I guess the idea is that the Chinese are technologically ahead of what Britain can do. I guess that's the... Yeah, because he, he gets a, the watch as well, doesn't he? Yeah. And she's like, oh, that's not... Well, we're not graded version, so don't tell Q that. Oh, no, he would hate that. He'd hate that. He's like, I gave you the car, man. <laughs> what do you want? The, the phone has everything. It's got everything. I, come on. I'm one man. <laughs> uh, and then we get a weird moment here as well where I think they're setting up that Bond is falling for her because he, like, stares at her as she's typing and, like, some piano music starts playing and, like, she looks up and, like, half smiles at him and stuff and I guess that's them falling for each other a bit. I, I guess I appreciate the effort, but in a Bond film it seems so out of place and sappy like i don't think you needed to do this no i don't think so either or maybe if you are going to do that don't put in the sappy music either yeah there's the music yeah again yeah just have it as a a little moment and move on so yeah so i guess fun to see the chinese version of this because i think this is supposed to be a really big deal britain and china working together i don't really feel that anymore maybe i guess politically you know post hong kong relations like this probably would have been a bit more crazy. Um, so they kind of go, I think that's what you're kind of supposed to feel. But as it currently sounds, I'm like, yeah, that's fun. Bond and a Chinese agent. Don't really think that much of it. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. I, as I say, I think the two of them work together very well. Um, I think they have good chemistry. And yeah, it, it all kind of makes sense, I suppose. I, I like the, the idea that what the film starts off with these two countries at war and then you're getting the agents together at the end it's uh it's nice yeah it's nice it's de- <laughs> i didn't really think about it like that 
while it's like what Romeo and Juliet's like, oh, the country's war, <laughs> two agents above it all. It's like I didn't think about it like that, and I, I'm not going to actually because I don't like that. It's too maybe cheesy. not. Yeah, Romeo and Juliet. Although some of the sounds, some of the music, you would maybe think it was Romeo and Juliet. Um, it's, but yeah, yeah, it's more just very of the era '90s, like cheesy romance sort of stuff. Not like all in romance or anything, but these little moments feel very '90s. So we then cut to uh, the place that they found on the computer, which is called... I actually looked this up because when you see it on screen, the reason why it's up, you see it on screen, it looks remarkably similar to the place from The Man with the Golden Gun. Well, it's yes. not. Obviously, it's a completely different place. Um, that was... Oh, I can't remember where that one was, but yeah, we're in Vietnam now, obviously. So um, it's Halong Bay is what it's called. That's what, that's what Wayling says. But it's very pretty. Not the same place, but it's equally. You know, it's got all the little islands poking out the sea. Very nice, very nice. And we see Bond and Waylin, um, kind of next to a sort of harbour area, where Waylin says that she's found a contact for someone that can take them out to the area thereafter to try and find the stealth boat. Uh, they've got to pay a lot of money though, because everyone is very uh, scared of this area. It's quite dangerous. Boats don't usually go out there, so they um, they pay this guy and. We see as the sun sets, they're on this boat. Um, probably got a name, this boat. I don't know what it's called. I feel like it's one that we, it's a similar one to we saw in The Man with the Golden Gun, actually. And I think we had oh, the same yeah, question then. Oh, yeah, they had a very specific name, didn't they? That's why I'm wondering. Oh, well, it's gone. But uh, they're on this boat uh, preparing for uh, the mission ahead. And they're sorting out all of their gear. And whilst they're doing this, Waylin is talking about her job and how... Uh, it's usually quite boring. It's quite routine, she says. But then every now and then she gets to go out and, and work with a decadent agent of a corrupt Western power. <laughs> so, <laughs> I was like, man, first Bond is a sexist, misogynist dinosaur. Now he's this. He just can't catch a break. He gets no respect, I tell you. Um, but yeah, they're setting up um, their mines on this boat. Talk briefly about mines. Because as night falls uh, before... Is it midnight, did you say, is what, when the, the yeah, carver thing is midnight. planned? I, don't, yeah. I think the time aspect kind of disappears, though. Yeah, it's night time now anyway, and they're on uh, a smaller boat. They're on like a little dinghy, motorised dinghy boat, um, searching for this stealth boat and looking around. They eventually find it. It's sort of like you get this idea that, oh, man, we still haven't found it. Oh, there it is. <laughs> it's <laughs> it's really quick. <laughs> yeah so they go up to it and because it's that one that has the gap in the middle they go inside the boat and pull up inside and and get out and they start to set up these mines bond says set them up with a 10 minute timer and the plan is that either these mines will just blow up the ship entirely and cause it to sink or at the very least it will make it appear on radar this stealth boat because of having uh kind of breaches in its hull and being a light uh, it'll be on radar, and then hopefully by that time, the governments that they've informed, respective governments, would have been able to do something. So as they're doing that, Carver, who is on the boat, uh, ready for his plan, he uh, starts it by firing two missiles at both sides of uh, Britain and China, the Chinese fleet, just to start aggravating things up. Um, let the mayhem begin, he says, as he does so. I don't think um, this is fully explained, but this is how I took it. So I just want to double check that they plan on using 
the missile that they stole from the ship to make it look like Britain is firing the missile? So the the missile that they stole is a nuclear one. Oh, so it's not the so these That's are just the regular missiles. Right. Yeah, these are just normal ones. I think they're just sort of getting the tension going. I um, see. Okay, that makes sense. Yeah, because the it cuts to the the British one of like these British ships that is in this fleet that's been sent there, and the missile avoids them, but they do see that they're being attacked and that there are Chinese more Chinese jets on their way incoming, and Carver then spots one of his workers not paying attention. Uh, to his computer screen and, and moves over to him and grabs him by the hair and says, what do I pay you for? Because on the screen, there's like a camera feed and you can see Wei Lin is there setting up all the mines. So uh, he says if she's there, then Bond's probably there too. So he tells uh, Stamper to go and deal with it, go and get her, uh, which he does very quickly. Uh, Wei Lin is just kind of sorting all that out and Bond... But I think it's on the other side because she climbs over like the the inside of the boat. Um, well, it's Bond's... that whatever name you called it, right? Where there's like two sides of it. So then there's yeah. a body of water. So Bond's on one side and she's on the other. Yeah. So she's on the other. She gets grabbed by, by Stamper. Um, Bond, who's on the other side, he starts to get attacked by some guards, but quickly deals with them. And actually one of them, I think he has a knife and he stabs him. And he uses this guard's body to fake his own death because Stamper's there and he starts shooting, but he can't quite see fully because he's sort of shooting from the side. So as he does that, Bond just throws this guard's body out into the sea to make it look like he's dead. Um, and that gives him a chance to then go further into the ship itself. That was cool. <laughs> yeah. Like, it definitely makes Stamper look like a giant idiot, but he, I guess he is. <laughs> oh, he <laughs> definitely it, is. It was a cool idea. It's an, just a very quick little agency move that, that did the job yeah when stamper tells carver that bond is dead we do get another delicious as well oh. <laughs> i don't know why I, I i really focus a lot on the delicious he only says it twice in the film i just think it's such an odd choice but there you go uh, <laughs> uh then carver asked stamper to bring in waylin as well as disable all the mines so that plan is ruined because they're going to deal with that Anyway, with Bond inside the ship, uh, he kind of starts to sneak around and look around. Waylin is brought into Carver, and they're there together. And as the plan's unfolding, he starts to boast about the position he's in, and and you know what he's done so far to get all this. And now the Chinese are on their way to start attacking the British fleet. And he then says about Bond's death because he thinks he's dead, and how his body is. Slowly sinking to the bottom of the sea, which means he's his new anchor man. Which oh, another great line, honestly. I think Carver has better lines than Bond in this film. I got to, I got to say, in terms of quips, anyway. He probably does. I mean, it's again in a more serious Bond film, this is just completely stupid. But in this Bond film, it works because it knows it's being dumb. I mean, you say about being stupid. This the, the bit straight after this. <laughs> When Waylin learns that Bond's dead, she she gets angry and, and goes to attack him. She's being restrained by guards, but she goes to attack him and then pulled back. And we're left with a rather delicious little moment where Carver mocks her 
martial art. It's really quite bad, but he does like yeah. this whole like <laughs> thing. And yeah, he makes the noises. I think the it's noise. the noises that uh, make it pretty bad. But then he has the gall to call her pathetic afterwards. <laughs> I mean, come on. Wow. Yeah, no, I, I, I'll tell you what, I'll let you in a little secret. The reason why I really like this scene is because it sounds so dumb. But at one point, I was, um, this was not now, but a previous time I'd watched this film, I was fast forwarding through this particular part for a section. I don't know why. And I had it on like two times speed, but it still had the sound. So (laughs) I suggest to anyone, just watch this bit in two times speed. It is just... Yeah, it's so good. (laughs) And now it is just forever ingrained in my memory, that one part. (laughs) Uh, Back in London, we see M uh, storm into that control room that we saw earlier. And they're all still there. The Admiral's still there. The Minister's there. They're all still keeping an eye on the situation because they've sent the fleet to the South China Sea. She has now got Bond's alert. Bond and Weilin's alert that they sent on the computer and she's confirmed with the Chinese government. They've got it too. And that they should now be looking for an almost invisible ship, uh, an almost invisible ship on the radar, that is. And that Carver has been playing both sides for fools. So MI6 are now up to scratch in terms of information, uh, which is good. And back on the ship, we get a little bit of kind of Bond MacGyver, MacGyvering here because he gets a glass jar from somewhere i can't remember where and he arms a grenade like you know releases a pin of a grenade but puts it in the jar so it doesn't fully release so it's basically a a mine now a makeshift mine Uh, and he also uses a little detonator from the watch that he grabbed from Waylon's place uh, and sticks it on the on the glass jar as a way to activate it when the time comes so he makes that and sticks it next to some explosive tanks. The film very helpfully pans over a little bit and shows like a little explosive symbol. Oh, okay. Yeah, that'll work. Um, and whilst he's doing that, Carver is giving the typical villain spiel, even more of it, explaining his master plan to Waylin. And this is where we actually get all the pieces together. We've heard little bits about how the Chinese are involved in this and General Chang and Beijing and all that sort of stuff. So Carver's plan is basically to launch a new world order. If you haven't got that it's crazy by now, that's kind of it. Um, when the Chinese jets attack the British fleet, the jets that are on their way, Carver will retaliate as if it was Britain by launching that stolen missile, that stolen nuclear missile, and he'll launch it at Beijing. It's a little bit convoluted, this plan. At the same time he launches it at Beijing, General Chang is going to be calling a meeting with all of the high command and he'll be late he'll be late to it so he'll get everyone in one place and basically nuke them uh, which will give chang the chance to topple and sort of create his own government from that and with that he'll organize a truce and he'll be a world leader and he'll be a nobel peace prize winner it's you know carver's doing a lot of stuff for this guy but in return Carver gets exclusive broadcasting rights in China for the next 100 years. Honestly, sounds like a bit of a faff for all that. Don't know about you. <laughs> yeah, I completely phased out when he was explaining this. I, I'm glad you explained it because I had none of these details. Apart from like the exclusive rights in China, 
which I was like, oh yeah, I guess that's pretty handy. But yeah, I completely phased out. I missed so many of those details. There's so many steps to it, and it's like just you just want to you just want to broadcast in China. All right, all right, fine. But that's where Chang comes into it, and it's a little bit like, oh, does that did he really need to be a named character in that way? I I guess so, but I think it sounds more complicated than it actually is. Well, like they were before going with this idea of him creating the news, and this actually isn't that. (laughs) This completely destroys that idea. For more, it's about coverage in China to open up a new market. So this is why I kind of just ignore it, because I think the idea of him being obsessed with creating the news to get the scoop quicker is probably more in line and a bit more fun. It's dumb, but it's a bit more dumb and fun, like he kind of is. And this one is the more convoluted Bond plot about world domination or some nonsense. So I kind of choose to ignore it. It is a bit nonsensey, yeah, yeah. And you're right, actually. I didn't even think about that, but that has kind of changed his, you know, that that earlier scene where it's tapping away. Like, what do we got for today's headlines? Do this, slime the president. Give me more of that. I don't care about Chinese broadcasting rights. That's that's very realistic and dull. <laughs> so <laughs> anyway. Uh, Gupta on the ship as well, on the stealth boat, is preparing for the missile missile launch. Um, I think Bond earlier had spotted him walking, so Bond finds him and holds him at gunpoint and holds him hostage, thinking that he's a, a vital part of the plan now, uh, that, uh, that Carver will need him. So Bond sort of reveals himself to uh, Carver and asks for a trade. Trade Gupta for Wei Lin which Carver finds very romantic and starts uh, starts to read off this quote about like William Randolph Hearst or someone. I don't know. I mean, I tuned out and so did Bond because Bond, <laughs> he spots this guard trying to sneak up and shoots him and then says, sorry, I, I tuned out, uh, which I think we were all feeling at some point. But Gupta says to Carver that everything's ready to go. Press, press the button. Beijing is toast. So with that, Carver sort of realizes that he doesn't need him and just shoots him instead. Uh, he's outlived his contract, he says. Um, so Bond's bargaining chip is sort of gone, but then he's got his backup plan. They even say about having a backup plan. And so that's when he detonates his little thing on the watch and the, the grenade jar blows up next to those explosive tanks, which then causes the whole ship to start to go aflame. Not uncontrollably, but there is a big breach now in the hole, which means it's going to show on radar. And it also gives Waylin a chance to escape from Carver and and meet up with Bond. I do really love that grenade thing. It's such a cool little visual you get here where he activates the watch and this very tiny explosive on the jar shatters the jar and just seeing this big old grenade and the pin go just to see it blow up. It's ah, it's a really satisfying visual, um, the grenade coming out of the jar. Yeah, and I complained earlier about all the stuff that the phone was doing, but this is Bond now without a gadget and well i guess it is a gadget for it's watch, a bit of a gadget it's, yeah. a, it's still a bit of a gadget but he's still having to do a little bit more and eh, it's good i like it yeah i like that bit something i'm not really into by this point but it doesn't bother me that much is this whole idea that bond really cares about whaling and he says before the mission oh we're gonna get out of this together me and you and he says this again here and repeats it saying we're gonna get out of this together i promised because he's trying to save her didn't buy it in the slightest i don't think it's a big deal you know she's the bond girl and i think she's a strong enough character by herself where this doesn't really affect anything and it's still fun having her here and bounce off bond but 
actually trying to sell this a romance it's like you don't have to guys like i don't buy it i don't buy any of this this is not the film to be doing this i see it more as the 90s cheese that the hero is going to say to the woman i'll save you so i just tie it into that but in terms of actually something serious it's like nah nah mate not this film nah no Waylon doesn't really suit that does she i don't really yeah yeah you're right but again her character it doesn't uh, like does not affect her character at all and the enjoyment of her in the film it just it almost makes me laugh when they try and pull this stuff off i guess it's meant to tie into the themes of paris and how paris died and stuff but like no not you know guys you can't do no, that now come on <laughs> stop being so silly come on but i think i reckon the first draft of this script that was the intention the parallels between Paris and Waylin and stuff. I think that's what they were going for, especially the Natalia stuff in the last film as well. I think they're trying to build off that, but it's like, nah, you guys, nah. Oh, stop it. Yeah. Yeah. So the grenade has blown a big old hole in the ship, which, as Joe said, it doesn't really destroy the ship. It just puts a load of fire out, or a load of fire is there and, the HMS, the the Bedford, HMS Bedford, sees something on the radar. So they now know that the stealth ship is there and Carver is shouting, put out the fire and shouting at people and orders Stamper to, to go and kill those. Well, yeah, go and kill them. Go and kill Waylin uh, and Bond. So Waylin and Bond have been like separated here and she's using some martial arts to knock out a guard and and then another guard shows up, so she uses a ninja star and throws it in uh, the, his neck and kills him. So Bond catches up to her, and they notice that the boat has started getting faster. The stealth ship is now being sped up, so they decide to split up, where I think Bond is going to go and stop the missile, because uh, Carver explained about I'm going to fire this nuclear missile at beijing so bond goes to stop that i think she just goes to escape i don't really know what her role is with this plan uh waylin yeah um bond goes to the missile she goes to the engines right so she's trying to stop the ship right okay. yeah right i see so yes yeah, so the hms bedford we cut back to them and they have been messaging the chinese fleet nearby or the chinese MiGs, i believe and they say, yes, we have also seen this stealth boat on there. So we'll leave them to it. Uh, good hunting. So they're like, they smile and they're like, all right, let's go get, let's go blow them up, boys. Um, so they can't use a missile lock because the signal is too weak. So they just start, they're going to do this the old fashioned way, which is just kind of shooting their cannons at them. So they are now shooting at the stealth ship with their cannons and uh, Carver orders, like, let's take evasive action, whatever that means. Um, so the stealth ship starts leaving, and the Hating Bedford is trying to shoot them to slow them down. And while this is happening, we see Waylin has started getting to a bit of a gunfight, and she is carrying two machine guns, one on each arm, and she is shooting at all the guns, uh, people, and she does this really awkward jump down while shooting, which looks odd. And that's oh. kind of what most of this is, her shooting at people and it being a little bit odd. I think it's meant to be intense. And Is that the slow-mo one? I've, I don't know if the first one is slow-mo. I, oh, there might okay. be two. Okay. But it's the, kind of the beginning of the awkward Waylin fight bit here. Mm. Uh, it's not bad, but she then she's in the engine room, so she sees a control panel. So she shouts, yeah, 
like a karate move and then shoots it and then they have like this pottery smashing yes, shattering I'm, sound yes play. i'm glad yes oh. like it's it's like a stock sound of like a pot being smashed to represent oh. the control panel being destroyed i'm so glad like, this is what i was talking about way earlier on i'm yeah, so glad too. you i'm so glad you noticed it too it was it's just it actually caused me to pause and go back and like did they really just do that but yeah it's a stock sound as well like it's a stock sound it's not like oh uh, a specific sound it sounds like something from like zelda or like any other film like you could download the sound and it's just like what happened here guys that's so incorrect and obviously cheap like how did this happen uh, do you know what? Once would have been bad enough, but they they played this exact same sound clip right next to each other, back to back. That you hear it; it's the same sound. It's it's ridiculous. I just don't. I like. I'm not mad about it. I think it's kind of hilarious, and with yeah. how kind of cheesy and stupid this film is, I'm kind of up for that. But it's just like it seems like an error, and that's what like you're just thinking about it. It's like why does it? Why any of that? Why the yah as well? Like, you're so distracted by the pottery. Why did they have her shout yah while shooting a machine? It's Yeah. Is that it, just it, racism? <laughs> like, I think it, so. They, they didn't need the hayah. That's too much. Yeah. But, oh, okay. But anyway, so that's enough to cause the ship to slow down and it stops entirely. So she's done her job. And we see Bond sneaking into the missile room and starts shooting at people. And more Bond theme. Again, you know, we get more Bond theme. It is what it is. Um, so this is actually quite a big room, and Bond finds like a a Sam missile launcher almost. So he like unchains it and starts spinning it around and starts firing these missiles. And an insane amount of guards enter this room, just like an absurd number, like Han Solo running into that room in the Death Star, like just a <laughs> silly amount of guards. And it's just so Bond can blow them up with missiles and. Yeah, it's just more explosions, yada, yada, yada. But Stamper shows up. Uh, we see him show up. But then we go back to Wei Lin, who is shooting more guards. And this is when we get that slow-mo where oh. she's shooting some guards and then like does a turn. But it's like a slow-mo turn for some reason. <laughs> um, but she's run out of ammo with one of her guns. So she only has one gun left. She's hiding, like breathing and all sweaty because she's trying to fight for her life here. But we cut back to Stamper and Bond. So Stamper is, he's got a grenade launcher. Well, he's got like one of those assault rifles that has like a grenade launcher at the bottom. So he's shooting that at Bond. Bond is running across the room trying to avoid it. And we then get another really dumb thing of Bond shooting guns at Stamper and Stamper shooting this machine gun at him. And there's just an absurd amount of bullets and they're just shooting and they're just missing every (laughs) single shot. (laughs) It's like, oh my God, this is so silly. It's so, so silly. Um, but yeah, they're shooting at each other. But we go back to Waylon, who checks her clip, and she sees she only has a few bullets left. I took it that she only has one bullet left, but she has two, obviously, for what happens next. Um, yeah, it didn't look. It did look like one. Yeah, they only show you the top of it, which I has meant one. To know. <laughs> but I guess it would always have one if it's the top of a clip. But yeah, it's a bit odd. So, but she doesn't have many bullets left. So we then get another slow mo spin from her where she spins out of cover and shoots at two pipes and that gives a load of steam and that knocks out the guards or something. So she seems to be okay. But at this point, the HMS Bedford has been firing the missiles, eventually hits the ship 
So that causes it to shake or start being more destroyed. So the person who was running the ship is saying, abandon ship, we got to get out of here, it's, it's over, boys. Throughout all of this, we keep cutting to Carver, who's not doing anything, but just looking like a bit upset and annoyed. <laughs> yeah, just a bit. You'd think he would be a bit madder, given you know what his reaction to being shut down earlier when he's doing his speech, but he's just watching it all kind of, I guess, simmering with anger, maybe. Yeah, that's what it is, right? He's just observing it all, not happy about it but there's no freak out he's just there just like "Mm." Mm. (laughs) and they keep cutting to him Uh, but yeah so with this big explosion that's caused a lot of wreckage to come down so bond is underneath this wreckage so stampers fires at bond where he is and then carver shouts at stamper like go and find the girl in the engine room go and stop her but we see that bond is okay and he climbs out of the wreckage and we get a very quick shot of waylin uh, has been found by Stamper and there's a gun pointed to her head so she's been captured but we go back to Bond and we get more Bond theme playing and he swings a chain across this room and sees a load of people at a control panel and a control room so they go to shoot him but he just shoots them through the glass and Carver then shows up and gives Bond the old judo chop <laughs> yeah well, yeah Carver judo chops Bond can you believe it <laughs> And then he makes he should have made the noises as well. Like, what? <laughs> he should have done the impression. Because he's chopping. He's not afraid to chopping, chop. Yeah. Bond finally gets a well actually no, Bond has been duo chopped a few times, but taste of his own medicine to some extent. Yeah, he chops him and then he kind of explains that it's too late. And Carver says his plan is going to succeed. I can't remember how. I again I stopped paying attention to the plot at this point. I think he's just saying he can escape and have this be destroyed and frame it or something like, like something he said like it's that. all accord- it's all fine. Wipe out any trace of it with the yeah. Blah 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 that sort of stuff. Yeah, like they'll destroy the evidence of him being connected to it so he'll be fine. So Carver is pointing a gun at Bond after the chop. But Bond sees the drill missile behind Carver, and he also sees the remote controls on the desk. So while Carver is bragging about how I'm I'm good, I've got this, Bond like activates the remote controls on the desk and the drill missile starts coming forward and Carver turns around to look at it. So Bond grabs him and he like holds him to the control panel and Bond says, I may have some breaking news for you, Elliot. And then he talks about like, I think you forgot the first rule of uh, journalism or something. Um, and it's give the people what they want. And then he like throws Carver on the thing and steps away and the drill comes into him and Carver's like, ah, and goes into Carver. You don't see it at all. There's no blood or anything. But yeah, you kind of just see the drill go forward. And and that's the end of Carver. It's a um, solid end for Carver. The, yeah. You get some puns from Bond, but him being destroyed by his own drill missile, that, that tracks for this character. Yeah, exactly. I think... Um... As soon as you saw that drill, you know that was definitely going to be used in some way, and it, it's a good, it's a good method. It's it's gory, but as you say, you don't see anything. Um, I do. I don't know. I'm trying to think if I'm actually happy with it though. <laughs> I just didn't want to say goodbye to Carver. <laughs> well, there's that. I, it is quite forced. Which, I mean, this film is so silly at this point. I don't really mind it, but it's very forced that they have mm. to go to this control panel and the drill missile just happens to be behind them and Carver has to like stand in a way 
where he doesn't move out the way. And it's just like, no! <laughs> the Austin Powers is like, no! <laughs> like, there has to be, there's a little bit of that for this to work. But, you know, Carver's so silly, I don't really mind. But yeah, they did have to force this a bit for this to work. Yeah. No, I, I'm on board with it. I do like it. Yeah. Yeah. So there we go. Carver's been taken out, uh, care of. And we hear a countdown saying T minus one minute. So they don't have a lot of time left. So Bond, I think, is unscrewing the nuclear missile that was stolen to try and drop it into the water so it doesn't get blown up when they blow up the stealth ship. Oh, okay. Well, he's unscrewing it, and I think it's the missile, but why else would he why would he unscrew it like that? I kind of took that as he's unscrewing a control panel to try and defuse it. (laughs) I don't know. Typical oh Bond what thing. because of the one minute timer perhaps yeah maybe I think oh both yeah of those i mean work. he might just i think obviously you know he needs to stop this launch so maybe he's trying to defuse it maybe he's just trying to make it not be able to be fired i would assume he would drop it into the water though because if they bombed the stealth ship that he knows is happening then surely that's just going to blow up yeah i mean we the the film told us that would happen in the pre-title sequence so yeah, yeah i think you might be onto something there I don't know, it doesn't matter. But yeah, so Bond is unscrewing the missile and we see Stamper has Waylin in a chain, all chained up, holding her above the water. And Waylin just gets the detonator out of her pocket and throws it to Bond and says to go and put that on the missile to destroy it. Which Stamper just lets happen. (laughs) It doesn't matter. He's a cool guy. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but Stamper is like Bond saying it's over, but Stamper saying it's not over between me and you. We still have unfinished business, something like that. So Stamper then drops Waylin into the water. She just plummets down, all chained up. And Stamper does a big running jump and jumps over to where Bond is. So they're now on the missile, on like the metal thing that's like holding the missile up. So there's a bit of a fight between the two. Not that much of a fight. Uh, Bond is being thrown around by Stamper because Stamper is the big, tough guy, big, tough henchman. So Bond is trying to reach for the manual release of the missile, but Stamper just, like, punches him. So Bond is able to get a knife out and he stabs Stamper twice, but he doesn't really seem to mind. Seems to quite like it, if anything. Yeah, yeah. Um, So he's all right. So Bond stabs him, takes out the knife, stabs him again and leaves the knife in, but Bond is able to pull the manual release which like slides part of this down and like crushes his foot or maybe like his legs as well, but it crushes part of him, of which Stamper shouts nine out. Yeah, now he's now he decides to talk German. I don't know. Yeah, now he's German again, I guess. Uh, but Stamper picks up Bond and hangs him off the edge and there's a T minus 20 seconds and Stamper is saying, oh, we're going to die together. We're going to die together, me and you. And we get some shots of Waylon drowning as well because she's under the water right there but bond takes the knife out of stamper and then cuts his jacket off because stamper was hanging bond by his jacket so he removes the jacket he lands into the water he swims over to waylin who's still kind of drowning and they kiss i believe bond is giving her oxygen but it's pretty much a kiss and because they're under the water they're okay but it's now over, the time was done, so they explode and everything explodes. Although I guess if the nuclear missile explodes, then No, surely that doesn't make sense. I was Do just you... thinking that, like if a nuclear bomb goes off, that's being underwater is not gonna help them. Yeah, like 
two meters of water ain't going to protect you from a nuclear blast. <laughs> Listen here, children. This is what to do in case of an emergency. <laughs> yeah, I don't know if they just blow up the base. It's weird. It doesn't matter. It's all very dramatic, though. It's very end of the film vibes where they're kissing underwater while everything above them is exploding. They're, they're having their romantic moment while the base is being destroyed. So Bond frees Waylin from the chains and takes that off her and they both reach the service and there's this fiery wreckage all around them and we cut to M saying, well, somehow they know that Carver is dead, but Bond's okay. Mm. Again, couldn't tell you how they know that, but apparently that's the case. And M tells Money Penny to send out a report saying Carver went missing on his yacht and we believe he committed suicide. So that's their cover story for what happened to Carver and the HMS Bedford shows up and they start trying to radio or they on the tannoy, they're saying like Commander Bond, Commander Bond and, and Wei Lin. I can't quite remember her rank, unfortunately, but um, yeah, they're, they're trying to find them and they're there on the wreckage and Bond says, let's stay undercover for a little bit and, and start kissing. And then we go straight to a black background and the credits roll. And yeah, that was, um, you got some issues with Stamper, right? Is it, do you want to? Get well, that off your chest. I tell you what, as you were just saying that all, maybe I was a bit harsh on Stamper. He's all right, I guess. He's, yeah, all right. He's fine. I, I remembered him being worse, but I think maybe... Actually, I mean, I, he, doesn't really do, he doesn't do that much. He's in the film a lot, but he doesn't really do that much. He's just always the menacing henchman. I guess he's fine. Yeah, that's how I would describe him fine. This end bit's all, again, fine. I, I like that it's quick and that it wraps up quite nicely. <laughs> that it just does what it needs to do, which is Bond and Waylon kissing and a big explosion, and that kind of wipes everything out. It doesn't drag out. It's quite to the point. It's it's all very cheesy and silly. All this stuff, especially with Stamper as well. It's all kind of I guess sticks the landing in terms of what they were going for. So it's a it's not like an amazing end or anything, but it kind of does what it needs to do, and it's, it's pretty decent. It's explosions. It's a base. It's all that stuff. I do kind of wish they they wouldn't have gone back to the typical kill the villain. Oh, we still need to deal with the henchman. I, I get why they do it because they they might still need some something for like the end. Like you're stopping the plot maybe rather than just the villain. So they need a bit of a, an antagonistic character for that. But sometimes I'm just like just end it with the villain. I think it would have more weight if they just you know. And they could give it maybe more time. I don't know. I just, it's the same thing that happened with like, uh, Knickknack. Is that his name? Yeah. In a uh, man with a golden gun. Yeah. And they do it all the time, but just, just, just deal with the villain, deal with the villain. That's it. I didn't mind it here though, because it is still quite quick overall. And it, it goes straight from Carver to Stamper. Like it's straight away. So it's kind of, it, it kind of made sense to me. Uh, connecting it like this it's not like with knickknack where they then have to disable this get on a boat and knickknacks in the cupboard or something like it's it's not (laughs) that there's no it's all part of the same sequence they just get carver's death and then stamper's death yeah i suppose it's it is better i just wanted more attention for carver that's all yeah i (laughs) i can see why you would say that i love carver okay he loves his carver i'm obsessed i have a poster on the wall (laughs) 
with some quotes like in, in the difference between insanity and genius is success just put that underneath it's it's just his face the one that we see in the film that they rip down and then delicious oh and yes then... <laughs> of course delicious it's like the obama hope posters but <laughs> carver and delicious oh i want to design that now oh that's a good idea yeah but no this is all of this is all very cheesy them kissing underwater very cheesy as i said i'm happy with that but you can't really take this stuff super seriously but as an ending to a 90s action film it's like what you would expect and it works because of that yeah yeah i liked i liked m doing her own carver headline spiel you know reciting it and enjoying it uh i like the credit music song surrender song and even this is the first film to be made without uh cubby broccoli he died mm. i think in 1996 so it does say in loving memory of of uh albert cubby broccoli yeah which is sad but uh it was always going to happen unfortunately mm. but yeah like surrender i don't want to go on too much about surrender because we did talk about it but i do think it's interesting that surrender followed the style of bond theme that we got from Goldeneye License to Kill, where it sounds way more traditional with the horns and stuff. And I think yeah. probably with the tone this film set, this actually matches the tone of this film way better than the actual song they used. Probably. Yeah. I think for me, it's the whole idea of you hear this throughout the film. But yeah. I think that doesn't really, it, it would have been nice if that was the case with the main theme. But it doesn't really ruin it. I think I can still appreciate it linking to this one at the end. And it does sound good when they do use it in in all the different uh, soundtrack um, parts. So I don't know. I think you're right. I think I'd like to say that it's like a big loss. I think I have said in the past that it's a big loss for them not to have chosen this. But the fact it's in there is, is, is good anyway. So it's okay. Yeah, it's a, yeah. I do like it. I like that it exists. I guess it makes you think a little bit. But I do think with the fact that this film is supposed to be more linked to the older Bond films and with, in terms of its tone compared to Goldeneye, probably would have made more sense to use this song, which has that stronger tie to the older films, rather than the Cheryl Crow song, which sounds like something very different to what we've heard before. Oh, sorry, I misread. I thought you were saying the Cheryl Crow one makes more sense to use. No, no, no. I'm saying Surrender makes way more sense to use. Oh, okay. Um, yeah, I don't know. It's I, uh, it's just a, it's a an a, a effect of like business, isn't it? Like they clearly saw the, the uh, an early version, and maybe it was probably Barbara Broccoli and Michael Wilson saw it and thought, eh, it's not working, and. It's strange. Maybe sometimes they don't know what's best, I guess. Yeah, it's not a big deal, as you say. It's just, it's cool. It's cool we got these. I think that probably is how they should have done it, but it's not a big deal. Yeah. So that was Tomorrow Never Dies. I I know I said I looked it up. <laughs> I remember. Don't worry. You remember. Okay. So I'm odd. You're even. So this is you. Okay. So I'm even. So this is me. Okay, cool. I didn't get to do Goldeneye first. No. Ah. Oh. I'm sad for me from last week. I'm sorry. If I didn't get upset, uh, just know I was upset secretly. <laughs> Deep down. <laughs> uh, yeah, so Tomorrow Never Dies. This is a... I said how conflicted I am, and I think doing this definitely helped me figure out what I think about this film. And it's it's the fact that it is this more cheesy City Bond film. It's 
not quite Roger Moore levels of cheese, but it definitely gets there. But it's like almost a reinvention of the cheese, I guess is how I would oh. describe it. <laughs> it's like, like let's do the 90s version. You know, this fits in with films like, or oh, what would be a good example? Like The Mummy, I suppose. Mm. Like it fits in with that late 90 action comedy. And in a way that kind of gives it this really strong sense of nostalgia and enjoyment because the stuff that when you look at it, really, it doesn't work. Like a lot of the stuff in that ending stuff doesn't work, but that's part of it. The fun. That's part of the charm. That's part of it being like a 90s action film. And it's kind of what makes it really enjoyable in a lot of cases. I will stand by that. I think the tone is still a complete mess. And I think that mostly stands out with Paris and her storyline. I really just don't think that works in this film. And I wish they kind of maybe even toned that stuff down a bit. And yeah, when we have the scene with the doctor and her in the same scene, it really, really clashes. And it just took me a good while to kind of change gears to enjoy what this film is trying to do. Um, But I still think the fact that I have to change gears like that is somewhat the film's fault for being a bit of a mess tone-wise at the beginning. And it has the most cartoonish villain, who, now that I kind of got to the end of it, I do like more, but it is extremely jarring at the beginning of the film, just how silly he is. And I think the fact that they touch upon such relevant themes about the news and manipulation and stuff makes it seem even more cartoonish and silly that they didn't take this topic seriously in the slightest. Like, it makes it feel even more dated, but then that leans more into the 90s silliness. So it's like, it both works for the film's favour and against the film's favour. It's just, it's a little bit of a mess here, but not really a bad mess. So I did end up enjoying it, but I wouldn't really say it's a particularly strong Bond film. Like, it's a pretty fun, enjoyable nostalgia ride uh, but not a particularly strong one but obviously the highlights are some of the action is really good some of the set pieces are really solid Wailing is really good and really enjoyable and Pierce Broughton is still a pretty good Bond not as good as in Goldeneye uh, but this just isn't as good as the film uh, ultimately so I originally had this quite low in my list because of the issues I had with like the whiplash in terms of the tone from Goldeneye and also the fact that it is a bit all over the place but I'm thinking I might move it a little bit higher I do really want to see it again like I think if I'm now that I know what to expect I think I would enjoy the first half of this film a lot more than I did because to be honest the first half of the film I wasn't that into apart from I wasn't like not that I wasn't enjoying it at all but I wasn't that into it so I think I'm gonna put it underneath License to Kill but above Live and Let Die at number 12. I still... F- it's definitely not as good as A Few to a Kill. I think A Few to a Kill knows what it wants to be and there's just a lot more enjoyment I get out of that film. Whether I like it more than License to Kill, though, is a little bit of a question mark. I, I, I think I am going to have to put it underneath because even though License to Kill kind of was a bit of a odd Bond film, I probably did still enjoy it more, but I'll put it above Live and Let Die just because Live and Let Die had that terrible boat chase and to be honest, oh. there's nothing really in this film that's like terrible in terms of that level. It, it is a little bit more consistent. Like it never really gets like awful. This film, it just gets a bit like that's a bit strange, or that doesn't really work. But it never really gets bad. So I'm going to put it underneath a license to kill, above a live, live and a die at number twelve. Okay, very very solid entry. 
Yeah, like oh, still God. in the enjoyable list. Still overall enjoyed it. I I do really want to watch it again, but I'm not going to because that's a that's a dangerous game if I start rewatching Bond films during a Bond rewatch. Oh yeah, yeah. Oh, I don't know what to do. This is That's good. <laughs> this is so difficult. Oh, so okay. Um I really enjoyed this film. Really enjoyed it. If you couldn't tell already, I loved the villain. I loved Carver. I loved the hamminess, the cheesiness, the ham and cheesiness. Mm. Um, <laughs> the sandwich it was. And um, yeah, we didn't really mention too much. You did say just then about the sort of contemporary nature of how they how they made the villain of this film, um, comparing it to the likes of real life people that are in control of huge swathes of of uh broadcasting and and the influence that that has behind it um and i think if anything it didn't really go very it didn't really go far enough as it could have with that we kind of said how it it lost track of that idea of making fake news for the for for clicks and 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 views um and it ends up just being about like the the chinese broadcasting rights so it's it's one of those things where, especially with hindsight and how media has gone now, especially with social media and everything as well, it's like this. Carver is a very realistic villain, at least for a lot of it, um, and and you know the the maniacal element he has about how he how he can control people is very true, and I think it's maybe it was just a little bit too early, um, or it came at the wrong time. This idea uh, where they were doing this more sort of silly role um i think it's going to work really well as a more serious role uh and a villain plot that being said i've said before i love how fun this film is and how it doesn't really take itself too seriously at times um Waylon's great i think pierce brosnan is he's yeah he's not i don't know he's not as good as in golden eye but i don't really know why i can't put my finger on what he really does too differently I think, just quickly, I think it's all the little moments that they just don't have here. <laughs> like, they just don't focus on those so much, so he doesn't get those little tie adjustments, right? They just don't do that, really. Mm. Yeah, I guess it is little bits like that, all the little details. But good quips, um, though. Pretty good quips. Yeah. For the, yeah, mixture of quips, I'd say. I think it's got good action, it's got good stunts. Oh, I really... So... Yeah. <laughs> My gut instinct coming away from this film and listen i love having bad takes all right <laughs> nice yeah we know i, lo- I love being the villain um <laughs> i think i like this more than golden eye right which, which no one is going to agree with pretty much hmm. and i'm fine with that but in my head i just look at the two films side by side and i think of alec and how i don't really like him and then I think of Carver and how I love him, <laughs> and the answer is clear. So, Not like it's it's beyond a like. Oh, beyond that. So now I'm in a tricky situation because to me I would put it just above Goldeneye. Not massively. I would put it just above it, but then that means this is above A View to a Kill, and I don't yes. think I think I prefer A View to a Kill. So I'm going to have to do some moving around. I know oh. I said I didn't want to, but I have to. I think I have to. Some spring cleaning. Pretty much. Pretty much. So so I think with that, I'm going to put Tomorrow Never Dies 
Well, no, first, let's move a view to a kill. That yeah, is let's, my, that's... let's not put Tomorrow Never Dies in, right? Like, if you move the stuff you need to move, so hopefully that makes more sense for people. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We'll do a view to a kill first. Um, and that is going to move to number five. <laughs> so it's going up two. It's going up three. It's going to go ahead of... No, sorry, two, you're right. Yeah. So it's yeah. going above Goldeneye underneath Moonraker. That's correct. Okay. That's correct. It's going just under Moonraker. And then Tomorrow Never Dies, I'm squeezing between those two. So that goes at six. Okay. There we go. I, it, that was the thing. It was the, A View to a Kill was the one, because I was so surprised at how much I liked that. Now when I see that, that is now my little benchmark. And I couldn't, I couldn't put that below this. So... I'm actually now putting it above Goldeneye as well. So a bit of retroactiveness there, but I don't care. We've I can't believe we've done that. We've both increased a few to a kill's rank after the episode was done. Yeah. Because that's what I moved, like t- in during license to kill. And yeah. now we're a couple of episodes removed and you're like, well, I gotta move it up. If <laughs> like keep it going. Yeah. I can't explain it, but um I think that's Listen, my ranking is all over the place. I'm I'm a subject of just my own flippancy, I guess. Um, but I'm okay with that. I'm I'm not here for the perfect ranking. This is just a bubble of now, uh, how I feel right now. And basically, my Bond opinions right now are all over the place. And that's just how it is. Well, uh, I, you know how I feel about Goldeneye, so I'm going to bite my tongue a little bit. You know, if you liked it more, you liked it more. You know, that's fine. Fine. I did, I did, and I do you know what that. It sounds petty, but the ten minute shorter runtime really did help. It does, yeah, that does help for sure. Yeah, I don't disagree with that. But to be honest, it's it's kind of interesting. I don't remember Tomorrow Never Dies being this cheesy and this silly. But if I did, looking back on it, I would have been like, yeah, this is totally Joe's type of Bond film. Yeah, it's it's Roger Moore esque. But it doesn't go to the level of, like, Octopussy, which went too far. So, yeah, it's a winner in my books. Yeah, well, there we go. I don't know if I've done the right thing. (laughs) (laughs) Well, you've done it now. It's done. Instant regrets. No, it's it's locked in. I'm not changing it now. We'll move a few to a kill up again next week. It's going to end up at the top. (laughs) It's going to end up number one in both our lists. (laughs) Slowly but surely. Like a disease spreading. Yeah. So yeah, that was Tomorrow Never Dies, a very interesting one. We have now like entered the era of Bond where the directors are going to change every time, which I'm somewhat excited by because it meant we had Martin Campbell for Goldeneye and now this Roger, someone shot my mum or something, I don't know, something like that. <laughs> Stop or my mother will shoot. Yeah, that's the one. <laughs> Has now come over and obviously done a very different take despite the fact that Goldeneye was such a huge hit. And they still allow for this big tone. So in terms of what the tone, the world is not enough is going to be, it's another new director. So I'm just like, no idea. It's a bit of a wild west. Is it going to be more Goldeneye or is it going to be more Tomorrow Never Dies? I don't know. Oh, I hope it's a bit clearer for me next time. Well, we're going back. Yeah, we are going back to the longer lengths. So maybe that will help. Oh, that will help. Clear things up. (laughs) Quantum of Solace at the top. There we go. Great. Number one. We have a few to a kill right underneath it. Oh, yeah. But yeah, it, it was nice to go back to this one. And uh, as we've already said, but 
to feel that 90s nostalgia was kind of nice. So I kind of hope with at least with The World Is Not Enough, which is generally considered worse than this film, that at least I get that warm 90s nostalgia feeling. That's the thing, isn't it? Nostalgia is a very powerful thing. You can you can put up with a lot of mess if it hits you in just the right spot. And I think that's what's happened here with me. Yeah, I think so too. But anyway, with that, do you have any last thoughts before we go? I'm going to start Googling uh, Carver posters after this recording. Yeah, I'm sure go to like, what, what, Redbubble or something. I'm sure that exists already. It's got to. If it doesn't, I'm starting one. Yeah. (laughs) Stay tuned for uh, some links, some affiliate links. (laughs) (laughs) For worldwide domination. (laughs) In a good way. Delicious. Delicious. (laughs) All right, with that, we've got to end this now. (laughs) Okay. Thank you very much for listening. You have been listening to episode 18 of the Bond Revisited podcast. The Bond Revisited podcast will return next week with The World Is Not Enough. <laughs> <laughs>